Settle down now. It is time to watch the show. Don't be licking me no more. In fact, could you get me a handy one? What was your first try here? You guys are making a podcast. for this welcome to the podcast nobody asked for with me ian harris and me graham jones and this week we are talking about live action remakes again i don't know what voice that is i do it every time it's your stadium announcer voice it's yeah. your, as you know it's not it's your it's if if ian introduced saturday night tv shows on chat on itv yes it is isn't it yeah and this week we are doing live action remakes we would watch so, everyone complains that films aren't original anymore, which is a fun thing to say after we watched Pig yesterday. Yeah, it it depends where you look, right? There's shitloads of stuff. I think we had this conversation recently. There's there's so much content that is now made just in general that yeah. there is lots of stuff that isn't original, but there's lots of stuff that is extremely original and um yeah half the time i think an argument probably to say that maybe some of the more original stuff is less front and center than some of the unoriginal oh, for stuff for sure for sure um so i can kind of understand it from that perspective but yeah there's a lot of good stuff out there if you want to go and look for it as you said pig what a film <laughs> pig is amazing uh, pig is the latest nicolas cage movie where somebody steals his pig and you said that like there's lots of Nicolas Cage movies where someone steals his pig and this is just the latest one. Yeah, true. That, that's not what I intended. But I wouldn't be surprised if there is another Nicolas Cage film where someone steals his pig. Uh, what I meant to say was this is the latest in a string of Nicolas Cage films. And in this one, somebody steals his pig. And it was it was originally kind of marketed as like John Wick with a pig. And it's not that at all. It turns out it is a deep character study on grief and food yeah. and uh graham, graham got a bit emotional i did get a bit emotional i think it's the saddest i've ever been at a film yeah so um obviously a live action remake we would watch episode is going to start with us gu- gushing about pig that's not something yeah. we want to say <laughs> start with us talking uh about pig but we can move on now but i i think i definitely think there is like we were kind of talking about music before uh, not on an episode, just in our private time, but that's between me and Graham. Um, there's only a, a finite amount of stories out there, isn't there? Yeah, really? isn't like, it something like, is it nine, I think? Like, nine uh, like, yeah. story yeah, yeah. arcs. I can't remember, like, the redemption yeah. one, the revenge one. I can't remember all of them off the top of my head. But yeah, there's everything kind of falls into into those uh, nine broad arcs. Yeah, and I, I think remaking or, or rebooting a story isn't necessarily laziness like you have the vince vaughn shot for shot remake of psycho which was pointless yeah but if you're trying to refresh the story or position the story for a new audience and time because everyone who hates the idea of remakes also loves scarface yeah there's a lot there are there are remakes and reboots that are better what's what i found weird lately is and it's typically more horror movies and particularly we watched the Friday we watched 2009's Friday the 13th which is just called Friday the 13th which made me think initially that it was a reboot or remake which maybe it is but maybe it isn't but it's, also it's, it definitely isn't because it's a completely different story 
it is <laughs> it is a story which it's a remake of Friday the Thirteenth one through four. Yeah, without the first Friday the Thirteenth, because that doesn't really. There's none of that. It's hinted at, but um, it, there's none of the actual Friday the Thirteenth in Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, but and, I mean, and just to stress, we watched this on. It was Friday the Thirteenth, and because we're meta, <laughs> we decided to watch Friday the Thirteenth. And I don't think we're alone in having to watch that film because it was the only free inverted commas to air friday the 13th version we could find yeah all the others you yeah you had to pay yeah. for the, i mean to be fair like the, even the original like friday the 13th is one of the like the classics right but actually watching it back now it is it is not like it's not a bastion of filmmaking and it's really campy and not particularly scary yeah but it's also one of those films where i don't know if it would have been better because what eight, early 80s yeah, I think so. We have now seen the Cabin in the Woods, Camp by a, uh, a Lake story done a lot better than Friday the 13th did it. Yeah. So I don't know if it is just the... Kind of like what we said with The Exorcist. I don't know if we were of age when the original Friday the 13th came out, it would have hit differently. Yeah, I, I imagine that probably is that probably is true. It also feels like the, the, the twist was a little bit of a, a rip-off of Psycho as well. Like the other way around. It was the mum. <laughs> I think all films should have that twist. What it was? It should it, be a legal stipulation that every twist in a film should be that it was either either the mum or the son. Yeah, and you thought it was the other one. Yeah, exactly. So like, like Mrs. That... Mrs. Doubtfire, it was actually the son that was Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, but imagine the twist in um, Return of the Jedi. You, you you take off Darth Vader's helmet and it's just his mum. It's just Nat- a burnt Natalie Portman. <laughs> Well, no, surely it would be um, Mufasa's uh, missus. I forget her name. Mufasa's missus. Mufasa's missus. Is that the, the, the Cockney remake of Mrs. Uh, The Lion King? M- Mrs. Lion. The Lion Queen, if you will. Yeah, so I am hoping this episode goes out on time. I'm not sure if we'll have to re-record it because Graham's voice is so low. I don't know if the microphone is going to pick it up. <laughs> uh, how are you feeling, buddy? I'm, I'm okay. I'm, uh, I'm, it's definitely not COVID. I've, I've tested every single day. I've taking my temperature every single day so it's just uh, the aforementioned trip to dublin has has, say, yeah. has had somewhat lasting effects an entire episode on holidays and then you come back like this is not <laughs> quite the poster child for holidays we hoped it would be no uh, maybe maybe relax on your holidays and uh, don't indulge as much as i did uh, kids indulging on holidays yeah that's going to be fun. We get to record a League of Good Bad Movies episode tomorrow after I've come back from a bottomless brunch. So good luck <laughs> controlling that one. <laughs> it's going to be a heavy, heavily edited podcast. <laughs> yeah, just, just me screaming <laughs> Gary Oldman on his knees over and over again. Um, so we won't dive into it too much because yeah. I'm fairly sure we're going to have an episode on this subject at some point. Mm. Uh, favourite remake? Favourite remake? And why is it podcast favourite the thing? Yeah, I would say, I mean, that's definitely up there. I think it's probably Evil Dead. Is it twenty fifteen Evil Dead? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was just really well done. It was different enough, but kind of kept the spirit of things. Yeah, I really liked the Evil Dead remake. So it I'll was go with yeah, that. it was fun. I, I'm not sure. Like, there, there's always for me, it, it sounds stupid, but a good remake is also one where you don't necessarily know it's a remake. Yeah. So. 
Well, I mean, everyone knows this is, but uh, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead is legitimately very, very good. Yeah. But we've talked about that before. Um, Ocean's Eleven? Yeah. Like, Ocean's, Ocean's Eleven, like, I'm not a fan of the sequels, but Ocean's Eleven is legitimately a great heist movie. Yeah, I think that the series lost me in, is it Ocean's Twelve with the whole Julia Roberts thing? Yeah. Yeah. The Departed? Yeah. I watched uh, Inferno, so uh, the, the Departed is based on a film called Infernal Affairs, which I watched at the Prince Charles Cinema after being awake for at least 20 plus hours. Nice, okay. And it was great, because I don't know if you've ever done this, but I was watching the film, I was enjoying it, um, and then I realised my eyes were closed. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely been there. <laughs> it was, I was just imagining reading subtitles. <laughs> um, true Grit. I really enjoyed the True Grit. I've never seen either of them. Remake. I haven't seen the original, but the, the Jeff Bridges, Matt Damon, Josh Brolin one was very good. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Yep. A Star Little is Born, Shop. because that's been remade Which more, one? More, yeah. times than, uh, more times than something's been remade a lot of times. <laughs> it's been remade more than I've had hot dinners. <laughs> that's the one. Uh, there's been some bad ones as well, though, hasn't there? Like, I think the, the Pet Cemetery remake's pretty terrible. The uh... Well, because I think a lot of horror remakes especially just decide to throw as much gore in as they can. Which yeah. is a fun th- a fun complaint to make after you just said Evil Dead, which throws in more gore than Evil Dead. Yeah, and But also, there's a way to do it. Yeah, I, I would say so. Pete's Dragon was terrible. I thought, <laughs> I thought you said Pizza Dragon. Pizza, uh, pizza Dragon but, would be fantastic. Now, bear with me. I've just had an incredible idea <laughs> for a fantasy-themed food uh, empire. <laughs> it's a cross between medieval times and a Pizza Hut buffet. <laughs> I used to love the Pizza Hut buffet. Yeah, same. Back when, before I realised that the reason I was always ill afterwards is that I couldn't process cheese. Um, I mean, I, I, I always get ill after Papa John's, and yeah. that's not not because I'm lactose intolerant. <laughs> Apparently, all of my favourite remakes follow the f- format of the title. Okay. The Thing, The Fly, The Mummy, The Birdcage. It's, uh, yeah, I think, I think that, that's the answer for me. The Birdcage especially is a very good film. I think it was our first movie recommendation nobody asked for. It may well have been. It was definitely up there. The Fright Night um, remake wasn't too bad. No. Because there's uh, David Tennant plays like a Chris Angel guy. We saw Chris Angel at the pub last night. Yeah. Is that a story we could tell? I don't know. I but So long story short, <laughs> we were sitting at a bar. Personally, for the first time, I've done that in 18 months without having to reserve a table somewhere. Uh, just spontaneously picking a pub and walking in. It was, it was, it was beautiful. Um, and I became convinced that the guy next to us was a magician sitting with his beautiful assistant. <laughs> um, we'll leave that there. Are we going to move on? Let's move on. This week, uh, what is your... You're doing the... You're doing the movie recommendation this week, Ian. Seamless, Graham. Nobody, Seamless. Nobody asked for it, apart from me just now. What is it? <laughs> so, <laughs> because we are talking about live-action remakes we would want to watch, so that is animated movies or properties that we want to see a live-action movie adaptation of. So, rather than doing our hilarious flipping the script thing, I've just decided to pick a film that fits that criteria. So... This is a live-action remake of an uh, animated series. which Well, an animated series that's based on a cartoon. Yeah. So that is, obviously, 2001's Josie and the Pussycats. 
Josie and the Pussycats is one of the most 90s, early noughties things ever made. It features product placement from 73 different companies and stars Rachel Lee Cook, Rosario Dawson, Tara Reid, Alan Cumming, and features the late 90s movie gods that are Breckenmeyer and Seth Green. Jesus. Uh, Donald Faison's in it as well. And it's, it, it's so much fun. It's so stupid. So it just follows... Josie and the Pussycats are a band. They get a record deal. And, you know, your standard sellout story arc. Yeah. But I love it. It's, um... They're from uh, Archie Comics, aren't they? Archie Comics, which, um... Don't know if you've read it, but there is a comic out there, which is Archie vs. The Predator. Yeah, I haven't read it. I've got it, I think. I'm pretty sure I got it. Oh, because if you see it, you I saw it. it. Yeah, if I saw it, I bought it. But there's a, yeah, so you've got the Riverdale yeah. series out. Riverdale, yeah. There yeah. is a version of Josie and the Pussycats in that series. Yeah. You then have Sabrina. Yeah. And so ends my knowledge of the wider Archieverse. The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which is very good. Have you watched any of Riverdale? No. Riverdale is fucking trash. <laughs> but but it, 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 it's... Oh, it's not aimed at me at all, but yeah. it's fucking trash. <laughs> but again, I, I've, 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 I, there's a time and a place for fucking trash. <laughs> you sound like a horny hobo. Yes. But you know, there's a time and a place for a show like that. And I've definitely blitzed through TV shows that I have actively disliked, usually just to find out what the, the answer to the mystery they posed at the beginning was. Have you heard of Wikipedia? Oh, I, I, I regularly will Google plots of films I have no intention of watching just because I want to know what happens. Yeah. Most recently, Clickbait, which is a mini-series which Amazon or Netflix keeps throwing at me that has that guy from Entourage in. Okay. And it looks awful. But I kind of wanted to know what happened, so I just Wikipedia'd it because I'm cool. And I'm meta hit. as well because you it was clickbait for you. Yeah, exactly. Layers on layers <laughs> on layers. Um, so if um, if early two thousands musical teen comedies aren't your thing, anything else that you uh, would recommend this week? Yeah. So what I was thinking was so I, I I've done a obviously a uh, animated series that became a live action movie. So why don't we go the other side and think of a movie which would be very good if it was done animated. Right. So I, I'm trying to think like maybe like a Studio Ghibli vibe to it, you know, bright colours, vivid sunshine, daylight, you know, look, just beautiful blues all over the screen. And I can't help but think that 2019's Midsummer would make for an incredible animated film. So I, I think everyone should watch that. Uh, obviously, Ari Aster, Florence Pugh, and we've talked about it at length before. It's a fucking masterpiece. It is a fucking masterpiece. Also, not to to go too far back, but I was just looking at the, um, the Wikipedia entry for Josie and the Pussycats, and in the cast list, uh, <laughs> it says, Johnny Depp, Gwen Stefani, Christine Aguilera, Britney Spears, and Matt Damon. As cardboard cutouts? As cardboard cutouts yeah. during the TRL scene. <laughs> it's such a good... Like, I can't stress. Because one of my favourite things with um, Josie and the Pussycats is... So we would, we would watch it semi-regularly. But whenever we watched it, 
we would then end up watching Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion within about a week and a half. Right. Because they're, they've both got Alan Cumming in and they're both kind of like just a time capsule of that era. Yeah. But Romeo I mean, and Michelle's high school reunion. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. It's fucking brilliant. Post-it notes. Yeah. It makes no sense at all. Like no, there's great. a 15 minute extended dream scene. Yeah, it's great. God, it's good. But uh, we should learn the dance from it. Okay, let's yeah. let's do it. I uh, I really and my um favorite teen musical movie from that era was uh, definitely Coyote Ugly as a child. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I think it was the first like twelve rated movie that I ever went to when I wasn't twelve. <laughs> Who was the main person in that? Because she was kind of very like. Brackenmeyer as well. Piper, they, they seem to be in everything for about four years, and then I can't remember the last time I saw them. Yeah, Piper Piper Perebo, who actually was in... She was in Looper. She was in, most recently, Angel Has Fallen. Oh! Um, so she's still doing stuff, apparently. Oh, we're just doing a tangents on tangents on tangents here. <laughs> I watched Olympus Has Fallen for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Right. It's amazing. Oh, really? I've not yeah. seen any of them. It, and by amazing, I mean it is one of the most generic action films I've ever seen, but I loved every minute of it. Like, as soon as it starts, you know exactly where it's going to go. Yeah. And at no point in the film did Jared Butler look like he was in any danger. <laughs> Jared Butler can't be in danger. No, of course not. He survived uh, bigger He's... things than a terrorist attack on the White House. Yeah. Um, and now there's three of them, and there's going to be a fourth? Yeah. Because obviously every, oh. everything's falling. Classic. And and with that, I think we should uh, fall in to your your first choice. <laughs> You're better than that. Uh, podcast has fallen. This is, is an animated short that I'd like to see live action. So it is the first animation in the Animatrix anthology. And it is called Final Flight of the Osiris. So Animatrix, we've spoken about many, many times. I don't think we've ever delved into um, any of the actual uh, shorts as such, but waxed lyrical about how good a uh, accompaniment it is to the Matrix no. and how we sh- it should have stopped there and there shouldn't have been extra matrices. Matrices? It's matrices, isn't it? it shouldn't, it's not matrices. Matrici. No, it's matrices. I'm going to go matrici. Okay, but you just made up a word. Yep. Uh, <laughs> This one, though, we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit more detail. So it, it follows the, the titular Osiris coming up against thousands of Sentinels. It's a nine-minute short, and essentially um, they try to they try to escape all the Sentinels. They find thousands more Sentinels, um, and they realize that all of these Sentinels are I said Sentinels a lot. Sentinels, um, Sentinels. They're flying above Zion, which obviously we know is the last human city, and that they're basically digging down to wipe out Zion. So the crew of the Osiris, they basically realise that A, they're fucked, and B, they need to warn the city of Zion. So there's a very cool sequence of Jew, uh, who is one of the uh, characters aboard Osiris, going back into the Matrix to drop off um, essentially a broadcast warning into a mailbox, which is also actually the prelude to the Enter the Matrix video game, which is uh, a tie-in that I didn't realise Yes. and you, you very briefly see a clip of it in the matrix reloaded i think yeah the short yes because the short is them sending uh because apparently you can jack into a computer but you can't send you can't, you can't send pick, emails. no one picks up a phone anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah so very soon after this all of the sentinels they catch up to the osiris it has lots of explosions and we see Jew basically drop dead in the matrix so whilst all of this is 
a lot of fun. It's not the real reason I want to see a live action remake. The reason for the live action remake is basically solely based on the short's opening sequence, uh, which I'm going to dub the sexy sword fight. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that. (laughs) So the the sexy sword fight takes place within the Matrix. Um, It's Jew, who is the the female lead, and Thaddeus, and they're fighting blindfolded with katanas and with, as you would expect it, like really over the top matrixy moves, lots of bullet time stuff. Are you still laughing at sexy sword sexy fight? Sexy sword fight. <laughs> just because yet again, like, clearly this isn't a thing. This is just how my brain works. But it is a band name. <laughs> yeah, like sexy sword fight would be like an indie trio. Yep. Yeah. What would uh, what would sexy sword fights album be called? Their first album. Well, I mean, Final Fight of the Osiris, I guess. <laughs> um, I don't know. We will, we will come back to what their okay. first album would be called. I, I think they might just go self-titled. Uh, no, what they would do is like an emoji version of their band name. Okay. So like Aubergine, Dancing Woman, Sword. <laughs> That's what the title would be called. Nice. That gives off very like three hundred three vibes. Oh, but that, that that's the kind of thing I think they'll be. Okay, because they're called sexy fucking sword fight. <laughs> so, so what makes it a sexy sword fight is that they're basically using the katanas to undress each other rather than kill each other, and it gives off the impression that they're very much into each other, which makes the whole exploding ship thing all the more tragic. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Nothing makes explosions more tragic, like knowing the preamble was a sexy sword fight. <laughs> Star Wars needed more sexy sword fights. That would have improved the prequel series. <laughs> yeah. Just <laughs> burning off Jedi robes with a lightsaber. I guarantee, without a shadow of doubt, and this is with no Googling, that there is some Star Wars fan fiction out there on the internet where that happens. <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know, I'm going to remove my glasses for this joke. It's uh, putting the slash into slash fiction <laughs> but yeah i think like if they would if they could take all of these incredible like stunts and choreography from the fight from animation to real actors either using a combination of like i guess using a combination of stunt people and stunt work and practical effects i think it would look pretty dope well like say what you want about the the sequels but the fight scenes in them were still incredible yeah and the stuff that they could achieve with i know there was you know, they, we've we spoke at length about the uh, Neo versus all of the Agent Smiths and the yeah. the dodgy C, parts of dodgy CGI. And but that. there's, do you remember the one of him versus like the oh, fucking hell? He's all so pretentious. Him versus the Keymaker. <laughs> yeah, that fight was awesome. It's great, and I think when they stuck to the yeah. actual like actors, wire foo shit. Yeah, ra- yeah, rather than doing the um, prosthetic Hugo weaving face. <laughs> that plus yeah. like the CGI Keanu. Uh, with bowling ball effects. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> um, Sorry, I don't know why that sounds like I was... It's sexy sword fight all over again. <laughs> sexy sword fight with bowling ball effects. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think if they, they utilised all of that stuff, yeah, like the, the wire foo stuff um, would be would be awesome for, yeah. for something like this. Thaddeus, uh, Michael B. Jordan, present day Michael B. Jordan. Oh, nice. And Jew Lucy Liu, but from about 2003. Okay, cool. And I think look, the rest of the movie would also look great. Hey, man, you had me at Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> would Stop look, selling when you're sold. Would look great in uh, like live action too, but I think most, because a lot of it's sort of the Sentinels and, and the Osiris and 
I imagine a lot of that would be CGI work anyway. So I think the real focus of the, the live action would be obviously anything that's either in the Matrix or in the um, in the sort of bridge and stuff of the Osiris. I think I mean, we've spoken about this before, right? Like in general, when stuff is done with like more practical effects and stuff, it always seems that much more impressive. Yeah. So yeah, if you can take something that I guess maybe was perceived to at least at that time to either only be able to done by animation or that was the right way to do it because you could get more out of it but using today's techniques to kind of yeah bring that to life um oh, right, really. like pretty cool yeah because the the, the the them running away uh in the hovercraft whatever yeah it would basically just be like a world war Two bomber movie uh-huh. because they, they they have like the the ball turret things right yeah yeah I'd watch the shit out of that. I would, personally, the one I would want to see would be the Sprinter one, because I fucking loved that. Yeah, that was great. Although, I don't know how... How you'd stretch it out for a... uh, Yeah. Yeah, or how you just... Some of the things in it that you'd recreate. But it was great, you're right. Yeah. I think it's also the only one that Neo's in. I don't know. I'm not sure if he is. I thought he was in the one with the kids, which could also be a very good one. Where there's the the anomaly in in the... Abandoned building. Yeah, no, like that, that that one. That could work. Yeah, but also that would be so much more effective if they released that as a film and then released the Matrix. Yeah, yeah. But the mate, uh, yeah, the Animatrix is just so good. You holding out much hope for Matrix Resurrection? Um, <clears throat> no. <laughs> if I'm completely honest with you, because what what was the uh, what was the most recent thing that they did? Oh, the Wachowskis. Yeah. Was it Cloud Atlas? No, it was Jupiter Ascending. Oh shit! Which really? is exactly why I don't hold. Any hope. Oh, well, technically, the answer is Sense8, the TV series. Well, I mean, if you want to get technical, that started at the same time as Jupiter's ending because it started. Yeah, but I only want to get technical when it proves me right. <laughs> so, of course, I don't want to get technical in those circumstances. Good choice, I like it. So, when critics refer to this film as being like E.T., the director turned around and said, E.T. doesn't go kicking ass. <laughs> so, I am talking about 1999's The Iron Giant. Nice. So it's directed by Brad Bird, based on a 1968 novel by Ted Hughes, and it is the tender story of the love between a small boy and a 50-foot-tall alien robot. And for like all intents and purposes, it's a fucking masterpiece. Like, it is truly an incredible film. It's universally loved and adored. It's had a legacy that has stretched on far after its initial release. Yeah. And it was a box office bomb, which I didn't fully realise. So it made $31 million on a $50 million budget. Oh, gee, as well. But it's... <laughs> someone, yeah, there's uh, a lot of egg on a lot of faces for this, I believe. <laughs> so... It sounds like the studio assumed it would be shit because their previous animated outings had been shit. Right. So they have <laughs> just released a film called Quest for Camelot. Have you heard about Quest for Camelot? I have not. Of course you haven't. <laughs> so they hadn't prepared any marketing campaign for the Iron Giant. And then suddenly all of these audience test screenings came out saying it was genius. Yeah. And they had nothing. Oh, wow. So... They had one teaser poster for the film, which then went on to become the poster for the film. Burger King were apparently really interested in doing like a 
whatever their version of a Happy Meal would be with Iron Giant toys, but Warner Brothers never fulfilled it. <laughs> and they were they were literally left with one of the best animated films of all time and no time to actually market it properly. Yeah, it's it feels like a it feels like a massively missed opportunity, doesn't it? Yeah, so, someone has dropped a massive robot ball on that one. Are you, are you implying that someone castrated the Iron Giant? Uh, at least castrated the Iron Giant marketing campaign. <laughs> but also, I looked very closely at the film, and I don't think he has balls. You don't which think? Is, don't think he's got balls. No. Okay. So uh, unless they're internal, internal rather than external. I didn't need to do the hand gesture there. We're on a podcast. Unless I can't they're... even see your hands. Uh, please don't make the noises. <laughs> so the Iron Giant started off when it was being developed as a musical with the involvement of Pete Townsend from The Who. Oh, interesting. Which isn't it an angle to take on it, I guess. Yeah. But it's one of those films that I'm sure, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, right? But I don't, I can't see it as a musical. No, I, I, I it doesn't really, because it's quite... I remember seeing, I've seen bits of it. I haven't actually seen the thing from start to finish. I remember seeing bits of it at school because I think we read the book. And it's uh, it's fairly dark in tone in yeah. parts. So to have that as a musical, like especially for a kid's movie musical, you would, you're, you, you know, you're thinking like upbeat songs like The Lion King, Jungle Book, etc., etc. Not essentially kids, robot, lame is. I mean, I didn't see it as a musical until you used the phrase kids robot lame is. <laughs> I would watch the shit out of that. So like like kind of like what we talked about with like the Muppets lame is. Mm. But instead of Muppets, they're just robots. Yeah. Yeah. Would yeah. It's the robot revolution. It's not the French Revolution. The robot <laughs> okay. uprising. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One date <day> more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can do robot impressions. Not still can't do Kermit, but I can do robots. Robots and Bronson. That's robots. Sure. Robots. Bronson. Yeah, that's basically it. Uh, and, Bron- and, Bronson. Bronson with prep time. Bronson with prep by time by myself with nothing but a cat staring at me in the kitchen. <laughs> um, so yeah, so they obviously moved on from it being a musical and just developed it into a more traditional film. So the plot is just after it's set in the kind of the peak of the cold war so the soviets have just launched sputnik and then this giant robot crashes into the sea just off the coast of i think maine and it's basically a it's a 50 foot tall robot but it's very naive and it's learning and it's basically a child and it befriends this boy who's doesn't fit uh, he doesn't feel like he fits in and it is him teaching this robot about life in the world it's all kind of nature nurture and there's a bit of gun control shit thrown in there and it's all about paranoia and it yeah. is a beautiful film. I just love it. Like I, I I haven't seen it in a while um because it will generally make me ball like a baby every single time. <laughs> robot ball like a baby. Robo robo ball like a baby. <laughs> uh but I think it was featured in Ted Lasso. Oh really? Yeah, because it's a uh, it, of course it has been. Ted Lasso is the poster child for positivity, and this is the Iron Giant. Yeah, I kind of want to. I, I it's one of those ones I do definitely need to see because I've heard so much about. Obviously, it has a cameo in Ready Player One as well, uh, and the new Space Jam. Oh, really? Yeah. So apparently, he fist bumps King Kong in it. Oh, uh, obviously, obviously, as, as, you do. as you do. That's that's what we needed. Yeah. So in the spirit of this episode, we are, we we are now going to cast the shit out of this film. 
obviously the Iron Giant is going to be CGI. Mm-hmm. Or, alternatively, we'll get someone... So, do you know who voices the Iron Giant in the movie? I do not know. Vin Diesel. It was before he was kind of a thing. But, yeah, he voices the Iron Giant. He voiced the Iron Giant before he was born? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> they just use, like, a stethoscope. In Vin Diesel in utero. Yeah, still said family. <laughs> family. Uh, we'd bring him back. So if we aren't going to go CGI Iron Giant, maybe we just cover him in foil. <laughs> like uh, the Be Kind Rewind? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And then we, were, we won't, like, superimpose him on anything. We'll just use, like, in-camera perspective. Right. So he looks like he's a lot bigger than everyone else. It'll... So Ian, Ian McKellening Ian him. Yeah, it, it, it just sounds like it would work. It wouldn't be lame at all. Uh, but yeah, so obviously the Iron Giant's going to be computer effects. Uh, Hogarth Hughes, who is the the central character. Yeah. Um, because he is a young child, or not a young child, but a, a boy, uh, the done thing now is any of the kids from Stranger Things. Yeah. Um, I am thinking possibly uh, gender swipping it. Okay. Uh, gender swipping, which is a word. Gender swipping. Uh, gender swipping it. So I don't know what the female version of Hogarth would be. I don't know. I'm not even sure that Hogarth should be a thing. No. So we might swip it to... Swip it. <laughs> swip keep... it real good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm combining switch and swap. Okay. And we're just... But also to on, swip. on multiple occasions, swipping. Swipping, yeah. It, I can understand like a, you know, fucking it up once. Yeah, no, it, it's, I'm not Swip even... it once, shame on you. Yeah. Swip it twice, you're basically Tom Haverford. <laughs> so, Hogarthina Hughes. Uh, I'm thinking Sadie Sink. So she is the redhead. Oh, she's... In Fear Street 2. Yeah, and also in Stranger Things. Yeah, she, she's just very, very good. So I, I think she'd be very good. The mum, we are going to bring back the voice from the film and go Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. Uh, Iron Giant. Yep. Was um, was uh, Jennifer Aniston also in, in Utero when she did the voice for the film? Uh, no, she was in Friends. Nice. Well this done. was uh, 1999. <laughs> um, so I think she just would have been... That would have been like a peak of Friends, I think. What, when is it? 99. 99. No, that would have been like... It finished in... Didn't it finish like... I want to say like 2000 and... So yeah, she maybe yeah yeah. Googling two thousand four. So yeah, ran yeah. So you'd have been season five, season five Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. So not quite million million dollar an episode Jennifer no, Aniston, but but not far off on the trajectory. Well, if she was million dollar an episode Jennifer Aniston, she'd probably have been like, no, I can't bother to do this voice yeah. this movie. Let's just build a giant robot. Uh, we then have Kent Mansley, who is a paranoid government agent. So he's the guy sent to the town to try and find what's going on and find this giant robot. Uh, I am thinking Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah. He's played kind of, I've seen him as a lot of detectives, and I think he could go for the, the, the paranoid agent look. I, I, I would have Lakeith. Lakeith Stanfield is up there with Batista for me, and just I'll have him in everything. Well, glad you said that, because Dean McCoppin, who is, uh, he befriends... Hogarthina, mm. and he realizes the Iron Giant isn't a threat, so he's like this beatnik artist who owns a junkyard. And we are going Dave Batista. Nice. Because 
Dave Batista should be in everything, and I think he would be really good as it. Mm-hmm. Because you, you, he hasn't really done like the, or he doesn't often get to do like the tender father figure role. He's either just massive and threatening, or goofy. Yeah, I suppose the only instance where he's had that more of a tender approach was in Blade Runner, right? Yeah, and even that was five minutes, and no one remembers he was in it because yeah. the film's nearly three hours long. Yeah, this is true. Um, he was very good in it. Possibly in that spy film he did, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. But, yeah, so I, I, I think that cast would work. I think The Iron Giant would really work as a live-action film. And it's also been long enough since the animated film came out that I think there is like a whole generation of people who would be dying to watch that really like there's people at our age who would have watched it when it first came out and I would definitely rewatch a different interpretation of it and then you've got a load of kids who I think the film would be perfect for because the Iron Giant is the shit it surprises me that it's not in the works already like I had to do a lot of digging to find out if it was or not of that kind of era of animated films i i nearly didn't pick it because i assumed it would be in the works already but there's been nothing there was a 20th anniversary collection and with some extra footage chucked in and Mm -hmm. that was it i i don't know if it's uh if it's like a book right thing or something like that or but yeah nothing in the works yeah until now until now Weirdly enough, you've uh, you referenced both Stranger Things and ET in your um in your previous choice, and my next choice is an anime that was described by the Duffer, Duffer brothers, the people who created Stranger Things, yeah. as an ultra violent ET. Sold. It also has a strong influence on on Stranger Things, and there are a lot of parallels. Although I say Stranger Things is quite a, I'm sorry about my voice. Uh, quite. It's, a, it's very funny. <laughs> Fran. It's quite a dialed down version of um, of this anime, but the anime is well. What I always thought was called Elf and Laid. Um, apparently, it's Elf and Leet, um, which is because it's the it's a German pronunciation. Okay. Um, it came out in two thousand four. I haven't actually watched it since then, so I was definitely fascinated by all the over the top violence as a teenager. So apologies if it doesn't hold up beyond this, but also. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm basing the entirety of the choice on. So That's fair. Um, we'll go from there. So it, it's a 13-part anime series. It follows Lucy, who is a Diclonius. Um, and oh, of course. Yeah. She basically gets found washed up on the beach and by all accounts looks to be just like a young, vulnerable girl. And these two university students, Kuta and Yuka, take her in and help her. What they don't realise is... And mostly because Diclonius look very similar to humans, um, is that she's essentially a mutant serial killer with a split personality that the government is out to kill. Sold. <laughs> so, Elfenleet, as it's apparently pronounced. So, it re- basically, like it really, it's it's kind of a revenge tale, but also kind of looks at the way that humans treat Diclonius and like the the overlaps there. <laughs> Sorry, you 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 said that like. That was a thing. <laughs> so I thought you were about to go into like, so it, it's kind of like a look at like apartheid or something <laughs> like that. But yeah, not enough films really cover how humans treat uh, Diclonii. Yeah, Diclonii would Diclonii. be uh, plural. But saying that, it you know, it does actually have a lot of parallels to things like um, genocides and things like that. And again, looking at how just we've or you know, people have 
treated people that are very different to themselves. Yeah. So it does hit some of those beats. So the the different the main difference between uh, Diaclonius and human that they are basically infected by this deadly disease and they have two horns on their heads, which is the, the kind of giveaway. But they also have vectors. Uh, vectors are basically transparent, telekinetically controlled arms that have the power to manipulate and cut objects within their reach. So essentially all of the... Uh, so like if, if I were a Diclonius and you were Ian, from here... I I'm could, just getting to the mindset of that. <laughs> yeah. I it could use these telekinetic hands to like rip you in half from here and you wouldn't even see them. That um, is very anime. Yeah. Very anime. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know one of the funniest things in anime is when you have a like master swordsman person and you just see them like do that uh which is just taking right. like Graham the... just did a a hand gesture of a, a sword coming out of a scabbard and then it very quickly back in by a couple of yeah. uh, inches and then whatever's in front of them like slicing in half and then you hear a noise along the lines of Whooshing! yeah yeah <laughs> and then the camera the camera kind of pans across you have a load of lines yeah, <laughs> and then the person splits in half. Yeah, exactly that. God, <clears throat> but yeah, as I say, it, it focuses around Lucy, and you basically you go back through, and so she's kind of like unaware that she's she is what she is so yeah. with this is whole like split personality disorder stuff. But as you go back through, and it's played out through flashbacks and stuff, it basically turns out that because she was different, she was treated really badly by humans when she was younger. There's a scene where two other two boys take her dog away from her and stamp it to death oh. off screen thankfully but basically the reason that she's out to kill everyone is because she wants revenge for being treated like shit i was looking through a few kind of like reviews and things and i think this is the reason why i want to go with this is is summed up quite well here so the quote is there is so much gore and violence in this anime that it borders on hilarious people's limbs are ripped out heads are peeled off Others are just plain ripped open. And I just think, like, taking that to um, a, a live-action remake would be quite fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, like... Just Itchy the Killer all over again. Yeah, or, like, like the, you know, similar amounts of bloods to the Evil Dead remake. Kind of like a Tokyo Gore Police style. Just, like, really, really over the top. You know, follow the story arc. Maybe you could probably condense it into a, a movie rather than going over the course of thirteen episodes as a as a TV series. But yeah, as I say, we kind of had a toned down version of it with Stranger Things in the sense that it's you know a like Eleven is very similar to Lucy, yeah, um, just less. Well, she gets a bit murdery, but a bit less murdery, and it's obviously the gore and stuff isn't on the same level. But um, it was it was definitely a, an influence on Stranger Things as the Duffer Brothers came out and said. But yeah, hyper hyper violent live action remake of Elf and Leap just sounds like it could be um could be a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean it sounds fucking insane. But I, I'm guessing it's too insane and that's why they haven't done a live action remake of it yet. Possibly. But then the weird thing is, is like we were talking about this yesterday, I think, that I was saying to you, like one of the things one of the films where I would like to see the reverse, so a live action film into animated would be Battle Royale. Yeah, and Battle Royale is extremely over the top, even in the film. But it's weird that the source material, so the certainly the man, I know there's a novel as well, but the manga is like I read the novel. Yeah, but the the manga's the manga is much more extreme than the movie, and you would think that that would better translate into an anime yeah. than a 
than a live action movie, but they obviously went with a live action movie. So yeah, I don't know. I suppose yes, but you know, we have had over the top live action films, so why not add another to the list? It probably would be a bit of a <coughs> hard one to you know, talking of the, the marketing departments. Um, so it, it's definitely it's definitely one for Disney stars rather than Disney. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Dis- Disney aren't picking up picking this one up. But yeah, it's good. I'd, I'd recommend watching... I, I, I'd probably give the anime a rewatch at some point as well because it's... Um, as I say, I've not watched it in a long time. And it, it's weird. It kind of goes between, like, re- reviews of it kind of go between, like, oh, it's kind of trashy because it's just, like, hyper-violent, like mush to actually it's one of it's like a leading anime it's done all of these things like quite well it's it all of the comparisons to like how you know the genocide stuff and everything yeah, is, yeah. is 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 a unique take on it but yeah i don't know as i say i watched it when i was probably about 15 and it was like oh, this shit's really cool so at least 15 year old me would be quite intrigued by a, a life action I, I think that is that's definitely the sweet spot for hyper violent anime isn't it <laughs> 100% yeah i i did used to cuz there's uh all, all the, the 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 anime i used to really enjoy has all had a live action remake by now so death note there's a live action remake yeah uh neon genesis evangelion there's been live action films yeah what i have been watching recently which i very nearly picked but i haven't finished watching it yet is records of ragnarok Okay. It's so so unintentionally over. It's like <laughs> it's so anime. Yeah. That's the only way to describe it. So the gods have decided they're going to destroy the world. Yeah. So they implement Ragnarok, which is a fighting tournament. Oh, I remember seeing. I think you shared the trailer of this when it was first yeah. announced. Yeah. So like the leader of the Valkyries has picked thirteen humans. Yeah. Who have to fight these gods, and it's best out of thirteen. So whoever wins gets to decide whether. So if the gods win, the world gets destroyed. If the humans win, they don't. The Valkyries become weapons for the humans, but the humans include so Lubu who is a big character in basically the Chinese version of King Arthur. So it's called the three... Uh, did he ever play Dynasty Warriors? Yeah. So Lubu's the guy in that. Right, okay. Uh, it's all from a sort of called Romance of the Three Kingdoms. It's all very interesting. Uh, Adam, as in... And Eve. And Eve, yeah. <laughs> and, like, Jack the Ripper and Tesla. I'm assuming you mean the inventor and not the car. Uh, yeah, the inventor, not the car. But it, it's so, so over the top. I mean, it's got, like, every stereotypical anime trope in, and I couldn't get enough of it. <laughs> like, you know the anime trope where the camera's panning and someone's talking, but you realise it's just a still image? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, that happens a lot. And it is brilliant. I think one of the other things I really enjoyed about with Elf and Lee as well is that it was, um, it was only 13 episodes, yeah. and a lot of stuff that I kind of got in... So I don't know if you ever watched Bleach, for example... No. Um, because there were 200 odd episodes yeah but it started off and it was like I, I watched it from it starting and so i was kind of going along with it and then it was just like is this is this never gonna end i think it's at like 300 and something yeah. episodes now and yeah it's like one piece is similar right one piece has got about 400 episodes or something and something it's just like that. there's I have no desire to kind and of it, and it reached a that. point where it overtook the manga right yeah so they're now so. doing two completely different things it gave the thrones to yeah classic i don't know if you're aware of this graham disney make animated movies 
What? Right? Uh, and they aren't afraid of adapting those animated movies into live-action remakes. What? Right? So we have had Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book in yeah. 1994. 101 Dalmatians in 1996, 102 Dalmatians in 2000, Alice in Wonderland in 2010, Maleficent in 2014. Uh, it kind of picks up steam from here a bit. Cinderella in 2015, The Jungle Book in 2016, Alice Through the Looking Glass in 2016, Beauty and the Beast in 2017, Christopher Robin, which is kind of like Hook meets Christopher Robin. Christopher Robin was great. I really enjoyed it's it. Did, parts of it were in Uxbridge, right? Uh, I don't know. I remember going to the gym and uh, there was a department store in Uxbridge, which looks really department. old. Department. I said department, didn't you I? Said department. There is a department store in Uxbridge, <laughs> which looks very old fashioned. So anything that is set in the 40s or 50s will generally be filmed outside there. Yeah. And I remember walking to the gym, which is opposite it, very hungover rounded the corner and there were a load of 1940s cars and i got so confused <laughs> i'd be more confused if there was the uh, the little winnie the poos yeah around uh dumbo in 2019 yeah aladdin in 2019 the lion king in 2019 maleficent mistress of evil in 2019 lady and the tramp in 2019 mulan in 2020 and then this year we had cruella some people you alright? Yeah, I didn't realise they did a Lady in the Tramp. Uh, it was straight to Disney Plus. Oh, interesting. But it's a, it's a feature-length film. Some people also include Nicolas Cage's The Sorcerer's Apprentice into it because it's based loosely on the Sorcerer's, Sorcerer's Apprentice short in Fantasia. Right. But it wasn't on a lot of lists, I found. So that's 17 films that they've remade live action. And we have The Little Mermaid... A Jungle Book sequel, a Lion King prequel, Snow White, an Aladdin sequel, Hunchback, Bambi, Hercules, a Cruella sequel, Peter Pan and Wendy, Pinocchio, The Sword and the Stone, Robin Hood, Lilo and Stitch, and a Prince Anders from Aladdin movie spin-off. So that's another 15. Definitely thought you said Prince Andrew. <laughs> no, that's a that's a different... Uh, yeah. Again, one for Disney stars. <laughs> um... Which out so out of the planned ones, are there any you're legitimately interested in? Um There are there are two for me that stand out because I forgot they were being made and I was gonna pick them today. I've forgotten the list that you said already. Um let me just have a quick look. Um so for me, yeah. Hercules. Yeah. Because Hercules is the bomb. And all the music is amazing as well. I think it's really it seems to get lost a bit in the mix. But I, I've always enjoyed Hercules. Yeah. And uh, Lilo and Stitch, I think, could really work as a light. Lilo and Stitch should be interesting. Yeah, I like I like Lilo and Stitch a lot. I don't know, like the Jungle Book Two is like what really? Peter Pan and Wendy could be cool. Yeah, I just hope um, Robin Hood's still a fox, a literal fox, a literal than... fox. You know that's a lot. So on um, like dating app prompts, um, a lot of the questions. Well, one of the questions frequently is like your first crush kind of thing. And there's a disturbingly high... Well, I say disturbingly high number of people. There's a lot of women that, ha- that cite Robin Hood, the animated Robin Hood, as their first, um, their first crush. Although saying that, Ariel was definitely mine, so I can't... She uh, was half... She's more human than a fox. <laughs> she is more human than a fox. She's also more fishy than a fox. True. A friend of mine's first crush was Jen from Dark Crystal, who is... Not human, and a marionette, <laughs> which is uh, my go-to 
when I'm talking about weird crushes. I, re- I also realised that because I said my friend, it makes it sound like I'm just talking about myself. Yeah, I'm not, my but that's not the kind of name you randomly drop into a conversation when you're talking about them growing up wanting to fuck a puppet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so that was a list of 32 Disney properties that have had the or had or are going to have the live action remake. Yeah, and what annoys me is in that list is not 2002's Treasure Planet. Treasure Planet is brilliant. It kind of came in a little bit of a dark patch for Disney. It may or may not have made the Disney Dark Age last a little bit longer because it lost so much money. But it's great. And you you also had uh, Atlantis The Lost Empire out around this time. And they were all so cool. Like Disney just leaning into the whole like steampunk vibe. And I have a lot of time for that. So at the time... Treasure Planet was the most expensive animated movie ever made. So it was $140 million. Jeez. It's traditional 2D animation, but on top of a computer-generated background. And, yeah, it nearly destroyed Disney. So it was turned down three times by Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was the studio chief, when Rob Clements and John Musker, the directors of Treasure Planet, kept raising it. So... They bought two films to kind of like the Disney board or, or studio heads. And they were The Little Mermaid and Treasure Planet. And then they made Little Mermaid. And then when Little Mermaid did well, they went back with Treasure Planet and they got told to fuck off. And then they went again and got told to fuck off again. Right. So they went straight to, and I'm not making this up, Roy Disney. <laughs> so Roy is Walt's son. And Roy had two, two character traits, which uh, the directors thought would help them. Number one, Roy liked a risky project. <laughs> and number two, Roy hated Jeffrey Katzenberg. <laughs> nice. And he okayed uh, the movie. So it, it did, it, it's a weird thing to say, but so it was a box office bomb, but it still made it like a healthy, like, well, not healthy, but it made $109 million. Yeah. So it still made a shit ton of money. It made a lot of money. It just lost 30 million. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, But it's not the biggest... So the biggest box office bomb, depending who you talk to, and not adjusted for inflation, was John Carter, which lost possibly $200 million. Jesus. So Treasure Planet, as I'm assuming everybody has guessed, or hopefully knows, because it's a brilliant film, is an adaption of Treasure Island, but in space. It's not the first adaption of Treasure Island set in space. There is, I think, an Italian series or film called Treasure Island in Outer Space. Nice and straight to the point. I like it. Yeah, so it's not quite blazing the trail. It could have been, but I still like the idea. So Jim Hawkins finds a treasure map in a mechanical orb that's going to lead him to Treasure Planet, where Captain Flint has hid his loot of a thousand worlds. And Long John Silver is a cyborg alien cook. There's like the character design is really fun. So there's uh like kind of like insectoid aliens. There's so the captain of the ship, the RLS Legacy, is kind of like a humanoid cat alien. And there's very few humans in it. I like the character design. It's great. Uh, Emma Thompson voices the cat. Nice. Which is always fun. Yeah. But I just I just really like it. So the the way they've done it is it's kind of like combined combined kind of like the mystery of space with like 19th century nautical shit basically 
So the spaceships look like old style longships. Yeah. But with massive fuck off rocket engines strapped to them. Okay. So the design is really kind of out there, but it really works. Like you never feel like it's a weird thing you're looking at, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it is full on steampunk. And it, I, li- I like steampunk shit. Yeah, apart I don't from know. Wild Wild West. Yeah, apart from Wild Wild West. The, the thought of Wild Wild West I can get behind, but not the execution. Oh, yeah. yeah. It would have been so much better if there was no Will Smith in it. Or, ironically, it be an animated movie. Yeah, true. Like, an animated Wild Wild West would really work. Yeah, I think so. I love Treasure Planet. <laughs> and not enough people have heard of it. It's, it's kind of like it's... Uh, remember the Treehouse of Horror episode where Bart has a twin brother yeah. who lives in the attic and eats fish heads? Yeah. That's kind of what Disney seemed to have done with Treasure Planet. They've just kind of, oh shit, and then put it in the corner. Yeah. Because after Treasure Planet, they didn't really... I, we've talked about this, I think, on a previous episode, but it took a long time for them to try to do something. This was the period where they started doing all the sequels. Right, okay. And like the safe bets. Safe bets, yeah. And then arguably the next time they really went out, really went out there was Tangled. Right. And that's yeah. then where you had, you know, the, what arguably what Disney is today seemed to have started from there. Yeah. But even then, like Tangled was, Tangled was just a retelling of Rapunzel, right? Oh yeah, but it was, it, it wasn't a sequel. Yeah. It was a, inverted commas, fresh Disney property. The tone was a bit different to what they'd done before. It felt a bit more modern. The effects they use, you know, it it was something new, even if it is a they all, yeah. adaption or something. And it was a was that's the era where Disney because there was definitely a distinct period where a Disney animation and a Pixar animation were very different styles. And you got to a point where Disney and Pixar, you can only it's it's more the style of the film than as in like yeah. the tone of the film than actually the animation style that sets them apart now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the the films that came out around uh, after Treasure Planet were films like Home on the Range, right? Meet the Robinsons, Bolt came out after Treasure Planet. It it wasn't just kind of Treasure Planet either. Treasure Planet was kind of like the it was the poster child of unappreciated Disney. So. They followed up Tarzan with Dinosaur. Do you remember Dinosaur? Um, not the... Because there was the... Li- is it Little... Di- li- oh, no. Littlefoot is uh, no, 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 Lamb no, Before no. Time. No, no, no. There's another... No, it's a, is it a Pixar film? The, oh, The Good Dinosaur. Good Dinosaur yeah, is yeah. what I'm thinking of. Yeah, so Dinosaur was a 2000 film. After that was The Emperor's New Groove, which we love. But yeah. we still... Yes, kind no, of I, like a lost thing. I remember dinosaur in as much as I remember the, the DVD cover. Yeah, <laughs> I've definitely never seen it. Yeah, so Emperor's New Groove didn't do that well. Atlantis: The Lost Empire, which I very nearly picked as well, is yeah. another <laughs> steampunk movie. This time under the sea than in space. From Disney's perspective, they just weren't hitting the mark, and then they seemed to kind of go a bit internal for the next like eight years, um, and then that's then where it so. From 2009, you then had Princess and the Frog, Tangled. Uh, there was a Winnie the Pooh movie thrown in there. Wreck-It Ralph, Frozen, Big Hero 6, Zootopia, Moana. And it's, you know, it's, that's a, that has a different feel to it. Yeah. Um, and so does their wallets now. But Treasure Planet, it, it, it's, I would encourage absolutely everybody to watch it because nobody else really seems to, and it, it upsets me. 
My partner refuses to watch it with me. It is deeply upsetting. And now the part you're all waiting for, fictional casting. So Jim Hawkins, we're either going to go... Again, I don't know whether you gender swap it or not, but it's going to be Tom Holland or Zendaya. Because Zendaya, because it's a film, mm. so Zendaya's going to be in it. She's slowly getting up to Frank Grillo levels now, I think. <laughs> but she's incredible. But I don't think she really gets the respect she deserves uh, as an actor. No, I, I, yeah. She's... she's... She's great. I like. like she's she's them. obviously she's popular and everybody loves her, but that's different to people actually respecting her. As yeah, a yeah, yeah. Very good in the Spider-Man movies. Yeah. Well, she's going to be in Dune, which is coming out soon, which is going to be fucking mental. Yeah, I'm in. I'm intrigued because this has been like the Dune has been coming out for like thirty years, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Long John Silver, gruff cyborg father figure. Right. Dave Bautista. Nice. <laughs> uh, I just, I just think that works, really. Captain Amelia, who is the humanoid cat-like alien. Uh, we're going to try and get away from the cat's-style humanoid cat and do something a bit different. But Emily Blunt. Okay. So either the voice or I, I, I don't know how you want to do it. Talking to you as if we're writing this now. <laughs> how, how do you foresee Emily Blunt as a cat? Uh, those are kind of the main characters. Yeah. Really. So that those are the three main people I'd want to see in it. Then obviously a lot of the other characters would be either computer effects or preferably prosthetics because you know how I like my in-camera special effects. Uh, but yeah, I just think it's a it is a hugely underappreciated film. It works. There's no space manatees, but there are space whales. Oh, you lost me. Yeah. But for you, Graham, yeah. for you, we'll bring in. Some... We'll throw in a space manatee. Oh, and it'll be a live-action space manatee. Live-action well. space manatee. Excellent. Do love a manatee. Final choice. Um, obviously, we went with anime in my previous choice. I would say that these two films are at either, well, obviously one was a series, this is a film, uh, are at either ends of the anime spectrum. So Elfin Blade or Leaped at the hyper-violent blood and gore. And, and we are going to go to the feel-good family anime that is My Neighbor Totoro, which is... Very much about the wonderment of being a child and seeking out refuge and peace when times can feel hard. Or maybe the murder of a child. Or maybe the murder of a child. But... Have you read that theory? No. Oh, cool. We'll come on to that later. Then. Okay. Please continue. So maybe it's not at the other end of the spectrum. Who knows? I won't go too heavy into the plot. I think a lot of people have, have seen the film, but essentially a young family, they move into a new home. It's two daughters and their father and initially and they're waiting for their mum to come back. She's in hospital and in sort of searching the nearby areas, the nearby woods, one of the daughters comes across these friendly woodland spirits who lead her through the um, tree into this magical forest land where she meets. Well, I think they're technically they're all Totoros. It's just the big one is King Totoro, who she befriends. Is it Totoro, it means troll, basically, right? Or something well, like that. So, yeah, so essentially it's her, because she's like, what, like four or five years old, and she tells her sister that she's seen Totoro in the woods. Um, and her, so my understanding is that Totoro is like a butchering of the Japanese pronunciation of troll, because her sister's okay. like, oh, do you mean trolls? And she's like, yeah, Totoros. So in the same way, like, like kids are stupid right they can't say words properly they're you know they're good for nothing little shites my my brother's <laughs> first word apparently was yam 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 uh, because he couldn't say ian 
Nice. Which is adorable and arguably the nicest thing he's ever done. Uh, I'm going to call you Yam Yam from now on. Um, yam Yam. Yam Yam. Um, so motherfuckers, <laughs> Yam Yam's in the house. Yeah, Yam Yam is like the Seth Rogen character in a high school movie. Yes, 100%. <laughs> hey, are you like 28, 30? <laughs> so my, my cousin, his... Um, I don't think it was necessarily his first word, but for a good few years of his life, called elephants furdits. What? Why? I have genuinely no idea. He, furdits? Um, yeah, so there was a, around the corner from them, there was a house that had like an elephant statue above the door. Whenever we would walk past with him in his like pushchair or whatever, he would point up at the elephant and say, furdit, furdit. <laughs> yeah, he, can, I... he, knows, he, he knows the word elephant now. He's in his 20s. Oh, that's good. That was going to be my follow-up question. Did he ever learn what an elephant was? But yeah, that's that's essentially what this is, right? So it's her mispronunciation, and yeah, it's. But I think a lot of people will assume that the big Totoro is like Totoro, and I think he's technically like King Totoro, who is also the is the face of Studio Ghibli now as well. Yeah, it's like yeah, the, yeah. the um logo. So I think we've spoken about on previous episodes he's a big like squirrely bear dude um i think is the best way to describe him and she basically yeah forms like a close bond with him and he helps her and her sister out over some you know over the course of the movie you know for example by calling them a cat bus when they needed to get home in the rain everyone needs a good cat bus (laughs) and i think the reason that this could be ripe for like a live action remake is i guess all of the possibilities of how so like Studio Ghibli stuff is very, you know, it's it's beautiful in its own way in terms of the animation and the scenery and everything. But I'm thinking like being able to take all of these sort of fantastical creatures and settings and sceneries like the magical woodland, Totoro, the other Totoros, even the like soot sprites, the cat bus, and like I don't know, give it like a proper like epic fantasy treatment so like a, i guess like i'm thinking like the, the woodland forest being akin to something from like rivendell and lord of the rings yeah. um just looking all kind of amazing and magical the you know an actual like a tutorial that looks like it's an or- a real organic creature yeah um as opposed to an animated one and i just think yeah i think it would just look amazing i think this is like you don't need to do anything to any major changes to the story or anything like that just really remaking it similar actually i know i shout on pete's dragon earlier which is a weird thing to say <laughs> again um, that's that's more for disney stars <laughs> but yeah so you were shitting on this dragon i was shitting on this but like in the way that they did pete's dragon you know recreating this mythical creature as as if it was a real you know organic animal in the uh, universe of um Pete and his apples. The the the, the wider Pete animated universe. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I just think they would look great. Like and you could I think you could do a bit of a mix of like the practical effects and um and mm. CGIing it as well. So yeah. like with the uh there's a the scene where she like falls asleep on Totoro and yeah. you've got his like belly going up. I can imagine them kind of making a, a Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Or we'll make an actual cat bus. Make a cat bus, yeah. I like it. So I've got, uh, I have an article in front of me. Unraveling the disturbing theory behind Ghibli's Totoro, which is from dazeddigital.com. I'm just right. going to read a, a little bit of it. Okay. 
There is, however, one famous fan theory that refuses to die. It's so famous, in fact, that the studio had to release a statement denying its accusations back in 2007. Here we unpick the theory that the film's cuddly cat is actually a death god, and the storyline makes reference to a brutal schoolgirl murder. So, there's there was a famous Japanese murder case right. called the it's the Sayama murder case, which was back in the 60s, and the theory is Totoro is basically the god of death, and the two girls have been murdered, and Totoro and the cat bus are shepherding them to the afterlife. Wonderful. Uh, Which is a different way of interpreting events. It is a different way of interpreting events. Isn't though like how how does like the the mother and her illness fit into all of that and everything? Um, I'm not I I'm not sure. I I haven't I haven't deep dived into this particular because apparently the um the the guy that wrote it was based it's it's kind of like semi autobiographical in that obviously not necessarily the. Totoro parts, but yeah. the, um, his mum had spinal issues as a result of tuberculosis, and him and his brother basically kind of played out the same kind of, you know, their their coping mechanisms for while she was ill in the hospital were to kind of go and explore and have these kind of fantastical adventures. So, uh, yeah, I yeah. don't think he was yeah, involved so, in any um. So in in, in this Sarama case, mm. the victim had an older sister who responded to a ransom note with uh, basically responded to a ransom and then found out she'd already been murdered and then she killed herself okay so the theory another theory is that one of the girls in my neighbor totoro died in the river right okay which is where she gets rescued by totoro or something yeah, yeah. and then her older sister dies hunting for her and that's why the two kids are dead because apparently we just can't have nice things. No, we can't. We have, we nice have to. We have to dive into them and make them about kids dying. Yeah. Fuck. Fuck you. Fuck you, people. Fuck you, internet. But yeah, it's as I say, just like all of these real world versions of the scenery of the sets of the creatures, I just think would look awesome. And actually, in two thousand and five at Expo two thousand and five, they um they created Satsuki and May's house. So it was located in the forest experience zone and you could kind of, it, I've seen there's pictures on the Wikipedia article of the film and it looks exactly like, you know, what, what you would imagine it to based on the um, animation. So yeah, it's, I just think because it's such a, you know, it's a beautiful animation anyway, taking that to the big screen and similar to the Iron Giant in a way that it would be cool to like, again, kind of redo this for, you know, a genera a new generation. Yeah. Um yeah. And also like it's it's nuts that this came out in nineteen eighty eight. Like the animation style is really, really great for, for a film that is um is as old as me. <laughs> yeah. You know what it was double billed with in the cinema on release? Yeah, Grave of the Fireflies. Why? <laughs> well apparently it's because they didn't think My Neighbor Totoro was gonna be enough of a commercial success on its own, so it had to be double Oh, it's that way round. As far as I can tell, yeah. I I, I, I always assumed they didn't think the world was ready for a depressing animated movie about the cost and price of war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, apparently. I may be wrong, but I'm sure that's what I read. Might make makes sense, I guess. But yeah, just a just a really, really good film and I just yeah, I wanna see like a like a a photorealistic cat bus. Yeah, we have to end it at that, don't we? I, I don't think there's anything I can say following to photorealistic cat bus. <laughs> 
I'd, was you rather a cat bus or a dog sports car? I can just imagine it being like the thing from Dumb and Dumber. Though. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, uh, you can you can take more friends in a in a cat bus. Yeah, yeah, no, true, true. Maybe some kind of uh, whale catamaran. Yeah, although the 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 problem being is that the dog sports car would always be there for you. It would you know as soon as you get home, it would greet you. The cat bus, it, it does what the fuck it wants. True. Uh, manatee jet ski. That's the answer. I don't. Manatees aren't built to go that fast. <laughs> but jet skis are, so you get the best of both worlds. <laughs> it's just like the... Um... Oh, God. Have we talked about bicycle? We haven't talked about bicycle, I don't. Because the woman's a jet ski, isn't she? The woman is a jet ski, yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to explain that. No, but let's drop the, let's drop the video into... Uh, so, into uh, as, as always... Or if you, depending where you access our podcast from, in the episode notes, you should have all of our social media links. And there's always a YouTube playlist that goes to trailers and random shit we've talked about. So check that out. There's going to be a music video for a song called Boycicle. You will thank us or never listen to us to again. Those are the two options. I mean, I feel that that kind of is most things that we recommend or say. True. Final choice for you, Ian. So, sorry, sorry. Final choice for you, Yam Yam. <laughs> so, we we started with a sci-fi animated anthology, and we are ending with a sci-fi animated anthology. So, I am talking about Love, Death, and Robots. So, Love, Death, and Robots is a Netflix anthology series produced by Tim Miller, who was the guy behind the Deadpool movies. Yeah. And David Fincher. I didn't realise that. Yeah, so apparently it started because Tim Miller and David Fincher tried to reboot 1981's film Heavy Metal. Okay. Have you seen Heavy Metal? No. Okay, you will recognise it because most people our age recognise Heavy Metal because you know in South Park when Kenny is cheesing? Yeah. That world he goes to mm. is heavily ripped off from Heavy Metal. Okay. Um, to the point, I think that there's a Sammy Hager song, which I think is taken directly from Heavy Metal, that they use. Right. Heavy Metal, Highway <laughs> Ticket to Midnight. That one. Yeah. Yeah. According to Miller, after they, you know, they kept getting pushed back for Heavy Metal, basically. Yeah. And then after the release of Deadpool, Fincher called him and said, okay, so we're going to use your newfound popularity to get our anthology movie made. Fuck the movie stuff. Let's just take it to Netflix because it'll let us do whatever we want. <laughs> So it was really, I'm, I'm assuming you had similar with kind of Studio Ghibli, where there's so many things to choose from. Love, Death and Robots. Some of the shorts are, they feel like they could just be proof of concept for a film. Like some of them are <coughs> fucking insane. The couple I narrowed it down to, there was one called The Secret War, which is about the USSR responding to basically like these aliens attacking siberia okay and it's all done as like kind of basically like a war epic and that would just translate to a a full feature length horror movie like immediately you've got one called beyond the aquila rift which is about uh i'm trying to think kind of like mass effect i guess so for ships to do like intergalactic travel they have to go through these portals yeah and something goes wrong with it basically do you remember was there it was like a bbc kids series called aquila aquila was brilliant a roman spaceship 
Yeah. Yeah. It was like, it went invisible and shit. It went invisible. Yeah. Um, they found it in like a cave or something like that. And it ends up with them going to the moon. Yeah. Yeah. Aquila was the, just, I've said the shit too many times in this episode. <laughs> Aquila was good. Should we, okay. How, how old do you want to feel? Oh, Aquila would be what? Mid nineties? 97. Fuck. Yeah. Jeez, it's weird the thing. Like I, I've never, I haven't thought about Aquila in fifteen years, and then you meant you yeah. said the words, and it was like, yeah, yeah, there was that. I believe it's Latin for eagle. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Beyond the Aquila Rift is one of the best shorts they do. There's one called Shapeshifters, which is a really cool idea. You couldn't really do it now because it's set in American soldiers in the middle, of, like Afghanistan, and that's gonna have a bit of a bit of vibe to it now. But it's basically uh, werewolves. So there are werewolves in the U.S. Army right. being used to track people, and the army don't really trust them. And there's, but it's such a cool idea. And there's, yeah, it's one of shapeshifters is one of my favorite werewolf things. Okay, there's a couple of other ones. There's one called like the Secret of Yogurt or something like that, which is it, it's <laughs> fermentation, isn't it? <laughs> Let's see what you did there. Um, I can't remember the proper title of it because I didn't make a note of it, but it's basically about how this sentient yogurt takes over the world. And it's just narrated, but it's narrated like it's by brain from Pinky and the Brain. Nice. And it's just fucking amazing. But the one I'm going to talk about is the fourth episode of volume one called Suits. So Suits follows a bunch of farmers defending their homes from an alien attack. So the aliens are called DBs. Which is a uh, Gears of War reference, apparently. Okay. Um, They're very um, similar to the uh, aliens in Starship Troopers. Troopers. I was just about to say that, yeah. But because they also like eating cows. Yes. <laughs> so they are very uh, arachnid, I believe, as the Starship Troopers aliens. <laughs> They're very um, Starship Troopers-y. They're just basically these insects that want nothing more than to <laughs> eat the farmer's cows and basically fuck shit up but luckily the farmers as you do in sci-fi universes have these custom-built giant mech suit robot things yeah and it is basically just the last the battle scene from matrix revolution which i still maintain given how shit the rest of that series is that battle scene in zion is brilliant oh look there's not that is also a phrase i've said in this podcast at least four or five times yeah so we could we could scoot past it but you would that, that's the kind of mech suit thing we're talking about. So there, I, I can't stress how great this fucking short is. It's 17 minutes long and it manages to fit in so much action and even kind of world building. Like, you know exactly what everyone's doing. So there basically there's Hank, who is the main character. There's Jake, who's his friend. And then there is a character called Crazy Mel, who is a, according to tvtropes.org, the braun hilda character trope nice which is an incredible name yeah and it's the, the the idea is that they've got to basically hold off these aliens while the hank's wife beth gets everybody into like these underground bunkers so they're kind of holding the line and heroic stuff happens maybe there's some sacrificing but there's a lot of explosions and guns and action and set pieces and shit like that and so much fun you watched it for the first time yesterday yeah 
and it's great. It's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very good. Um, I love the animation style. Not that that matters if we're doing a live action remake, but it, it's kind. Of, it is. It's computer effects, but it's done as if it's. It looks like three D traditional animation. Yeah, especially with I think there's the there's a bit of a distinction between like the uh, the humans and the yeah. rest of the animation as well. Yeah. Like the humans are very kind of certainly facially very um, yeah. traditionally animated. It's really good. I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it. it I I don't know what it is about mech suits. I've just always loved them. I'd quite like one. Oh, hundred percent. Be better than the fucking battered Astro we're driving now. <laughs> oh, you'd use it for. Let's like, so, social just, just, just commuting, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I might need a couple of parking spaces in the gym, but it'll it'll get me there. Uh, yeah, but with a mech suit, you could you could leave it on top of the gym or something. You wouldn't have oh, to get yeah, a true, space. true. Yeah. Have you ever played Titanfall? Yes. Uh Titan the the idea of Titanfall was better than Titanfall, I feel. Titanfall two. Yeah. The story mode in Titanfall two is one of the best first person shooters I've ever played. Interesting. Um I just don't think anyone cared. <laughs> yeah, because you, you, just... you could pick it up for less than a ten now. Yeah, I'm very confident in saying that. It had, um, yeah, I think just a lot of promise. Like the idea was great, but it, it's similar to, and I'm sure not a lot of people agree with this, but I I remember buying the Xbox 360 because of how good I thought Assassin's Creed looked. Yeah, and the original Assassin's Creed was. The first half an hour is great, but then the rest of the game is just doing the first half an hour over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, Ugh. yeah. So I've never played Titanfall one, but I played Titanfall two, and it's very story driven. Yeah, in the, and it, it definitely works. So fictional casting. So, like I said, we have Hank, uh, Central Farmer, uh, our, our main protagonist, Dave Batista. <laughs> We're going three for three. Dave Batista has to be in everything. His wife is Beth, and I'm going. Oh, actually, before I start this, um, half of these choices were picked by my partner because my partner is better at doing this than I am. One of her choices was that Beth would be played by Rosario Dawson of Josie and the Pussycats fame, but <laughs> just works. Jake, who is not not necessarily dim-witted but well-intentioned, friend of Hank's. Again, my partner said Sean Gunn, which is just fucking perfect. I don't think Sean Gunn's really had a proper front and center role. So Sean Gunn is uh, most famous for playing the person who was CGI'd out to be replaced by a raccoon in Guardians of the Galaxy. And also the weasel in uh, The Weasel, uh, yeah. Suicide Squad. He'll he'll have short he'll ha- he'll always play another role. Mm-hmm. That's always a bit more background. So in The Suicide Squad he was also Calendar Man. Yep. And then in Guardians of the Galaxy he's one of the Ravagers. Do you know why weirdly I thought that that Jake character could be played by uh, Will Arnett? Yes. Yeah, or uh like a Ryan Reynolds kind of yeah, kind of vibe. Jake's wife is a fairy redhead with a shotgun. Uh which yesterday one of the trailers we watched before Pig inspired me, Karen Gillan. Yep, yeah, nice. Right. And I thought then, you were going to say me, Ian. Hey. I mean, let, 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 let's be fair here, shall we? Uh, if I had to pick a fiery redhead to play a female character in a film and I didn't pick my partner <laughs> and instead picked you, there would be problems. Fair. But if, if Alex isn't up for, for playing uh, <laughs> Helen, then we're going to get Karen Gillan involved. Uh, and then Crazy Mel, which, again, this was my partner's choice and it is so fucking spot on. Rachel House. So Rachel House is the child protective services officer from Hunt for the Wilder People. And she was in Thor Ragnarok as Jeff Goldblum's right-hand 
woman. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. And she's she, basically in every Taika Waititi movie. Yeah, and she is fucking hilarious. Yeah, she is very good. And I can just see her playing a crazy farmer, uh, hunting insect insect aliens for sport very, very well. Yep. And yeah, I just think them leading a film like this would just be fucking amazing. It's difficult to talk at length about something that's 17 minutes long, isn't it? They they fit a lot into the 17 minutes, but the 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 high level overview of the story is definitely something you could drag out to an hour and a half, two hours. Like you said, with the with with similar to the Animatrix, there's definitely <coughs> there's a lot in Love, Death, and Robots which is perfect for the format, but you couldn't get any more out of it than the 10 minutes. But Suits, I think you could easily bring that up and not feel like you're dragging things out or, well, or losing things i think suits could be like the the 17 minutes of suits could be the conclusion to basically yeah suits like yeah. there's stuff world building and stuff you could do beforehand yeah. like initial attacks from the bugs and all that kind of shit well yeah and they're not going to be you know it, it will it'll end up being it's the three of them yeah but there's obviously going to be other farmers and other mech suits and things like that and then there's also an, an amazing reveal at the end, which I find really interesting. Yeah, good twist. Um, like which, we, which we won't ruin for you because it's 17 minutes long. Just go yeah. and fucking watch it now. Now. Love, Death and Robots is one of my favourite things on Netflix. I yeah. can't get enough of it. I've seen bits of it. I need to, I need to watch, watch more. I've seen like some, I was watching it in order. I've seen a few of the, the early pieces. But yeah, really enjoyed, really enjoyed that one. Yeah, so, so, some are definitely better than others, but I, I, if one isn't good, it's only 10 minutes long, so it yeah. doesn't really matter. It did start auto-playing after you'd left the room. Yeah. Um, it started auto-playing the next one, which was very odd. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Fox Woman? Fox Woman. Fox Woman. And, and that, 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 I believe, is the choices. It is the choices. So out of your three... Yes. What we're looking at here. We are looking at, I think, third place being the final flight of the Osiris. I think that set piece at the beginning, that se- sequence, sexy sword fight, does lend itself well to the to the live action remake. However, I think there's a lot of it that still is going to be like, will have to be CGI'd, etc. Anyway, so for for the sake of the more that we can do with the others, um, I think it sits in third place. Second place, Elfin Leap. It's just to see the over the top, awesome, gruesome. As I say, people's limbs being ripped out, heads peeled off, and people plain ripped open in the live action style. I think will be a lot of fun. And then first overall, my neighbor Totoro. I think the um the potential for how beautiful a film it could be with like modern day takes on rendering of these mythical creatures of the sceneries of rural japan and stuff i think it would just be pretty breathtaking as, as a live action movie so that is mine yam yam what is your uh what is your top three so so for me kind of thinking about it there is there is one aspect of one film that I'm not 100% sure would fully transfer to live action. Mm. Everything else, I th- don't think it loses. I think they're incre- I'm glad they were animated first. Yeah. If we had to pick, I want them animated, but I don't think anything necessarily loses anything yeah. by going live action. The only thing that might is Treasure Planet's take on 
space vessels because they are so steampunky and like i said they are literally look like wooden hulled tall ships yeah. with rockets attached to them um, i'm not sure how that would work live action without you run the risk of it looking stupid mm-hmm. and it then detracting you from the film and that's not what we want but also if you have a more traditional spaceship it you lose that that whole bit of it yeah so yeah so i would go treasure planet three for me it is quite close but iron giant two i think it's it's an incredible film in its own right i i think more people need to watch it and i think it is a it would make for a brilliant uh live action film but for me suits i I think it clinches it mainly because i want uh I would also take a feature-length animated version of it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's kind of what the tiebreak is. Is I've already got a feature-length version of the Iron Giant suit. We don't have it. I think I watched it twice in a day. Like it was a proper. I I was plowing through the first series of it when it was on, and I think after Suits, I paused it and messed. That was the one that made me message everyone saying, "You need to watch Love, Death, and Robots." Mm-hmm. You'll and then message me after this. It just works. I, I think it's great. And obviously Dave Bautista. Obviously Dave Bautista. Obviously Dave Bautista. Right, and then that brings us on to the joint top three, which mm. is the point of the podcast, which maybe is something we should mention in the intro, but you guys are here now, so it doesn't matter. Well said, yam yam. Thanks, bro. Uh, so for me, yes, as I would say as always, but not, not always, we have had a couple of episodes where neither of our number ones actually made it. Yes. Neither of our number ones <laughs> and both of our number threes. <laughs> so uh, My Neighbor Totoro is definitely up there for me. Suits is definitely up there for me. And I would put Iron Giant up there as well. I do like the idea of uh, hyperviolent elfin light. I, I do, I do, I do like me some hyperviolence. Yeah. Um, I really like the idea of Final Flight of the Osiris. I, I, like I said when you were talking about it, like it, it would have the feel of a World War Two bomber movie, and we haven't really had a lot of those since. No. Like the fucking eighties. <laughs> the fucking eighties. Fucking eighties. And Treasure, yeah, Treasure Planet, I do love, but I, I'm not 100% sure how it would translate. I, I still think it would be great. Yeah. But it is definitely below the other ones for me. Yeah. Um, I think you should still watch Treasure Planet. It's amazing. The, uh, the interesting thing, because I, I, you've thrown me by putting Suits as number one, and the reason being is the same for me with Final Flight of the Osiris with Suits, is that I think the majority of it is still going to be quite sort of similar to... The animated version in yeah. that you're really kind of just replacing people and everything else is still going to be some form of animation um not necessarily you're going to kill real cows there's a lot of people Ian, you, just just as a disclaimer here yam yam wants to kill real cows oh i mean i i'm a meat eater graham <laughs> you know we've established that you couldn't kill a cow though at least in hand-to-hand combat Fucking hell, how are we talking about this again <laughs> i i could if pushed Kill a cow with my bare hand. We we established you couldn't. You said that I you, could, you, you could. wouldn't be able to. Sure, I. Oh, this was a I, a friend of mine was listening to the podcast and occasion they were a couple of episodes behind yeah. and out of the blue they just messaged me. Did you just say you were going to fashion weapons out of a sheep to kill a cow? <laughs> and it took me a little bit of a moment to figure out she was talking about the podcast, uh, the podcast yeah, and yeah. not just something I'd randomly something said. I'd said. But yeah, on on a previous episode, I mentioned I would fashion weapons from a sheep and be able to kill a cow with it. And then I think I was going to develop a harpoon out of the cow to kill a whale. I think that's where we went. Yeah. Yeah. 
because food commerce had shut down. Yeah, because I asked if if the shops near you had if the supermarkets had shut down, and you hilariously came back with um, I would go to the corner shop. But yeah, if all all supply of food had shut down. Okay, all right. Like so, I can't believe I'm going to do this hand gesture again. So I think I could like as long as you can get round the neck of the cow. Yeah. You should be able to apply enough pressure to strangle a cow to death. The cow's going to fight back. Well, yeah, but like, rodeo that shit. Cling on. Yam what, yam, what, what? nose clinging on. What's, what's the Star Trek universe got to do with this? I see what you did there. Nice. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Um, I, I, get, I, get, I get what you mean that a lot of the film would still be animated, but you could also do a lot of practical effects when it comes to the aliens themselves. Yeah. Like, podcast made with the thing. But I, I would want it to be as much, like, in-camera stuff, as like, practical effects as you could, because that's what I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with a lot of the mech suit stuff. You could, you know, like, it would be, sure, <laughs> a lot of it's going to be computer effects, but you could still get the main actual harness on, like, a like rig on a harness yeah, and yeah. film it there. So I, I, I get it. Um, I, I think Final Flight of the Osiris more so because it would be hard to do that with a hovercraft over a barren, <laughs> destroyed Earth. But I still think... I, 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 I heartily disagree Fair is enough. the takeaway from that. So what, what, what would yours... You would have gone Iron Giant first. In your mine. three, yeah. I'd, yeah. <coughs> excuse me. I'd have, yeah, probably gone Iron Giant first, Suit second. But yeah, I don't know. I think My Name is Totoro, just for how good it could look, I think is is up there for me. And it doesn't mean that you would lose out anything on what is a really great like story. Elfin, Elfin Lee, I think, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think uh, we don't get, there's not a huge amount of um and i guess because it's hard to it's hard to market and there's not a massive um box office potential for these kind of really hyper violent um over the top stuff outside of like a, a tarantino film but yeah i just think it would be it would be a really fun movie as it's it's kind of like your tokyo gore police as i mentioned before like it's 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 on tokyo gore police is you're actually the killers <laughs> yeah but yeah I, I look i i still think the um suits would would be great it's a it's a it was a really really enjoyable short yeah so we're going uh so so my my neighbor totoro for me i, I would say is number one yeah just because i th- i like you said i think that would be very well done <coughs> the only thing that is going to fuck that up is it looking weird like they they in the death note adaptation they tried to too realistically do the yeah. creature yeah, it yeah. just looked odd. They didn't lean. You you need to acknowledge it's live action. That it's going to look a bit different. Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is a perfect before and after as well. Yeah, yeah. Like to the point where I still convinced they did it on purpose as a marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd go My Neighbor Totoro one. I'd go Iron Giant two. Yeah, and then it's between Suits and Elf and Leet. I don't know. <laughs> it's a tough one. Uh, the main reason it's difficult. I would... you've not you've not seen Elfin Leeds. So... I've seen I've seen bits and pieces. Yeah, I would mainly go Suits because I could definitely see it working as a feature length live action film. The only problem I have with Elfin Lee is sometimes it's difficult to turn hyper violent anime into live action because it is so inherently cartoony that you you lose a bit of it. Like either it just looks stupid, 
or it's um they lean too far into the gritty side of how violent it is and that's a different thing entirely yeah but i i i'm just worried that uh if it had come out live action so if, if elf and leap was a live action movie yeah our response to it would be god i wish they'd done this as an anime yeah i suppose and that's that's kind of my take on um yeah battle royale to be fair like but yeah. that's not state but battle royale is a great yeah. movie but, while with um, while with suits if our introduction to it was a live action film i wouldn't necessarily turn around and go you know what really wish this was all animated yeah 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 well maybe for the cows maybe for the cows yeah so maybe yeah it's cows. gonna be a live action film but hand-drawn cows hand-drawn hand-drawn cows, cows. Okay. Just like cardboard cutouts, yeah, much much like the cast of uh, of Jason the Pussycat, <laughs> yeah, and we've come full circle, full circle. So, are you okay with Suits third? I'm okay with Suits third. Suits third. Yeah. Oh, um, I wasn't able to watch. Just to hark back to a previous episode, I wasn't able to watch Safety Not Guaranteed, but I watched a lot of YouTube clips, and I'm completely fine with it still being in the top three. Okay, because it's a fucking amazing film. I'd just like to point out that every time that I have said to you, I will, you know, within within it, the week, I it's will got watch. taken off of Netflix and Prime. Yeah, well, it's available for. I think it was two pounds forty nine on YouTube. I think you've got to buy it now. Uh, well, yeah. I, I, it's it's going to be done, but I I I'm, I'm fine with it. Okay, so. The podcast nobody asked for's top three live action remakes we would watch. Number three, we have the Suits short from Love, Death, and Robots. Number two, we have Iron Giant, and number one, we have My Neighbor to Toro. If you agree with our choices, if you have any other choices, you can find us on Instagram at the podcast nobody asked for. If you think Yam Yam is how we should address Ian, um, post hence is that the way of saying it? Forevermore on the podcast. Forthwith. Forthwith. Please do tweet me at uh, nobody asked for pod with the number four. Um, you can also find us there on Facebook and all of these links to podcasts and uh, socials can be found at the podcast nobody asked for .co.uk. And remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. And remember in your review to put any. Uh, future episode ideas you may have uh, it really helps we are actually now officially ranked on the great britain film and tv podcast lists Woo-hoo. we regularly fluctuate between 60 and 150 it's not not too bad well it, like like i think you said yesterday uh i was expecting six people to listen to this yeah and yeah. us to have decided it wasn't worth our time by now but turns out that's not the case and we aren't alone in how much we enjoy talking oh, random shit. shit about films yeah um yam yam it appears that you forget to, forgot to mention our kofi link this week why oh. might that be so the reason so our kofi link is still open but we have decided to take the plunge into the murky depths of patreon so we now have a patreon page which you can find at uh, patreon.com forward slash the podcast nobody asked for right now we have three tiers did you see the tiers names i went with I did not. We have <laughs> friend of the podcast. Nice. Best friend of the podcast <laughs> and friend of the Haga. <laughs> so there you get random shit with a lot of the tears. Where it's probably going to be something we revisit further down the line. But yeah, uh, we're kind of at that point where we want to make this. We we want to grow. We want to we want to get more of you guys listening. And any money will be pumped straight back into it. And making it bigger, better, and generally more awesome. 
and uh, we appreciate the we yeah again we appreciate the support that has led us to think it was worth our while opening a Patreon page. Absolutely, everyone's and great. We everyone is great, and you know it just makes me happy to see Yam Yam happy. Oh, Yam Yam is happy. <laughs> uh, and on that note, you know what? I'm not going to say something easy to close the episode off with because I know you're just going to turn around to say something about Yam Yam anyway and that's going to be what we end on. That is correct, Yam Yam. Ugh, no one asked for this.